Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Herndon for the Play for Keeps podcast, an initiative of the Ashland New Place Festival. Here at the Ashland New Place Festival, we are recording compelling new plays with world-class actors and sharing them here with you through the Play for Keeps podcast, making theater accessible worldwide and on demand. We have created this series of podcasts to let you in on the front lines of new works for stage. Today, you'll be hearing a great conversation between Sky Robinson-Hillis and Don Zalaitis. Sky Robinson-Hillis is a playwright and director based in Chicago, Illinois. She is currently completing her Master in Fine Arts and Playwriting at Ohio State University with a full scholarship. Sky is a two-time semifinalist for the Princess Grace Award, and her work has been seen at the Creed Repertory, the Route 66 Theater Company, Chicago Dramatists, and more. Her play, Ann Vaster, which is a part of the AMPF Play for Keeps podcast collection, was a winner at the 2015 Ashland New Plays Festival. Don Zalaitis is a playwright, novelist, and former middle and high school teacher. He is also the most produced playwright in American schools, with more than 100 published plays that have been produced more than 11,000 times, appearing in every state in the United States and in 63 countries around the world. His first novel, The Seven Torments of Amy and Craig, was published in 2018. Don was also the 2017 winner of the Ashland New Plays Festival. Now, without any further ado, a conversation between Sky Robinson-Hillis and Don Zalaitis. Hi, Don Zalaitis. Hey, Sky. How's it going? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really well. I haven't seen you since, uh, since Great Plains. We literally haven't seen each other since then, which feels weird because I feel like everyone is so connected via the internet that I forget how long it's actually been since I've seen people in person. I know, we were at uh, we were at Great Plains in May of 2017, I think, right? 2018. Wow. No, 2017. was it 2017? I think it was. I think it I'm was. I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah it was. Um, where are you, you're in Texas. Well, not at the moment. Right now, I'm in upstate New York in this cute little town right now. So it's it's very nice outside. So, And where are you right now? I wish I was in a cute little town. I'm in a not cute little town. Uh, I'm in Athens, Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, where I am getting my MFA. I'm my second of three years at Ohio University. Oh, okay. It's a pretty unpleasant small town, but... <laughs> um, here we all are. Um, yep. So, so what's what have you been up to lately? What's um, I got to see your play and Vaster, um, which was the play that was selected for Ashland, right? And then it was read again at Great Plains. Um, Just, you and I, we had it the opposite way. We had our two plays at Great Plains. Mine had already been at uh, Ashland and yours was soon to be at Ashland. Right. Which is interesting. <laughs> so um, so what, has, what have you done with that play since, or, or has it been a struggle? Uh, it's sort of my bridesmaid play that mm -hmm. you know, has been to a number of festivals and has won some awards and has been read by, it feels like everyone and their mother, uh, and yet I cannot get it produced. Oh. So, real playwright talk. Um, so that's been going on since about 2015 when I wrote it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, still in the same place. 
sadly. Um, what's oh, did you lose? I lost your audio. No. Wait, I heard there it is. Noise, and then it, <laughs> it popped out. Okay. Yeah. Well, can you ask me that question again? Yes. What's happening with your play? Well, um, one of the actresses from uh, from uh, Ashland took it to her theater company, uh, Theater Vertigo, in Portland, Oregon. Oh. Um, and it had a run of about six weeks last spring mm -hmm. um, in a very cute little place. I'm going to say cute instead of small. Um, <laughs> um, and since then, um, it, it has been on my hard drive. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, you know, that's that's part of what happens in professional theater. You know, it's you, you get plays, they maybe get read in these amazing places like Ashland, and then it's still such a struggle to get it produced. If you get it produced once, you might not ever get it produced a second time. Yeah. Um, so it's just really, you know, you just have to keep on going. It's hard to get traction kind of with anything. It seems like it's so much easier for everyone else, doesn't it, though? <laughs> I don't think it's easier for everyone else. It's hard for everybody. It just feels that way from <laughs> the internet side of things, you know? It's like, oh, how, how'd you do that? How did you do that? It's really tough because we're on Twitter, right? And you see your friends or colleagues and they're, and they're, they're celebrating things, right? And, and everyone does this on social media. And, and you, want, you root for them and you're excited for them. But it's also hard as a playwright to watch other people, you know, get the things that you're also striving for. Well, exactly. It's like every time somebody gets something, it means you didn't get something, you know? <laughs> if you applied. <laughs> and it, well, yes, of course, if you applied. But most of us are applying to all the same things, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're thrilled when it's someone you love, but then you're also like, oh, all right. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> it's so public. So it's such a such an odd thing being a player. I mean, I guess it's similar for actors. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you go out for the same parts and then you go and see those people who got the part. But um, it's just, it's an odd thing. Yeah, it's, it's really part of being a working artist, I think. Yeah. yeah, we really have to practice kind of gratitude and balance in a way that is difficult. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and grab things when they come your way, I guess. Yeah. So I wonder if we should talk about our experience at Great Plains. Sure. Sure. Um, I think one of the fun things that happened when you and I were there is that we developed this fun little group of pals, mm -hmm. uh, which we affectionately refer to as the squad. Right. Um, <laughs> which was very in at the time. The word squad was very in in 2017. This was, this was back a long time ago in 2017. And now it just feels like a word that, you know, your parents used and now they, they don't actually know what it means. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so we had this fabulous little group of playwrights that we all kind of hung out together every day for what, eight, eight days, nine days. Mm -hmm. And we drank uh, a lot. Drank a lot in my hotel room, um, and I guess we should shout them out. So our squad was <laughs> the two of us, Emma Stanton, Dave Harris, Abby Barrett, and Carrie Barrett. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think about, I still think about the squad every once in a while because I, you know, 
I think it's rare when you go out for, for a festival or for some kind of workshop opportunity that you get to do that. And mm-hmm. the unique thing about Great Plains is that it's so many playwrights in the same place at the same time. And usually it's, you know, between two and five at an experience right. like this. And I think there were 23, 24 playwrights. Yeah, something like that. It was wild. Um, and and I think the, what was it, five of us, six of us, six of us? Mm-hmm. Um, were and are such different writers and such different people and from literally all over the country. And it was kind of nice to just have that, that little friendship for even for like eight or nine days, not that we're not still friends, but uh, I think it was sort of a unique experience that I haven't had before at an opportunity like that. It was, you know, I, people call playwright camp. Um, and that was really fun about it, but it's, you know, there's a lot of being on your own as a playwright. And it's just so wonderful to just meet up with people who are basically trying to do the same thing you're doing and you have this instant connection with them. And it's it's it was really a wonderful experience. And it was so great to be able to meet you guys and make friends with you guys. Um, I'm getting a little on the older side now, I guess, sadly. <laughs> but it was great to, you know, um, to just go out there and have a camp experience, you know, kind of like when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's nice. It's nice when you actually get along with the playwrights who are there with you. Because I think right. that's that's always a, a low key fear of mine when I go to an opportunity or a workshop. So am I going to get along with the other playwrights? And am I going to like their work? Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's hard when you don't, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, and I think at Ashland, I had a similar experience where the four of us playwrights in 2015, we all got along really well and we spent a lot of time together and we're all still friends now. Um, and that was really lovely. Um, was it like that with, with your gang at Ashland? Yeah. I mean, we were in rehearsal a lot, so it was a little bit less, um, there was less time to just sort of hang out and, and become friends like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I got along really well with the people who were there and, and, um, and I really, I had a great time with Beth Kander, uh, who I think was there when you were there. Um, so it was really wonderful to be able to, to spend time with people, but we were in rehearsal more, um, than at Great Plains where it was sort of, you had one or two rehearsals and then you were just thrown into the, to the reading. <laughs> yeah, we were there for a longer time, I think. I seem to yes. remember us being in Great Plains for longer. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate. Maybe it just felt longer. I don't know. Um, yeah. Ashland seemed to go by so quickly for me because I was so in love with everything about it. And mm-hmm. when that happens, the time goes by so much faster and you're just kind of watching it go through an hourglass and you're trying to trying to make it stop. And you have these amazing, amazing actors that you're working with that are some of the best actors I've ever worked with on on any level. And it's such a gift to be able to, like, have them read your words. And all of a sudden you sound so much smarter than you thought you were, than you probably are. (laughs) I remember um, rehearsing for my play at Ashland in the same rehearsal room where Sweat had just finished rehearsing. (laughs) the, The set renderings were still on the wall the costume renderings were all still on the wall and i was just verklempt i was i was having a moment <laughs> um but i was rehearsing my play in the same uh room as a, the world premiere of a lynn nottage play 
Um, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's not an experience you get to have a lot, <laughs> even though it effectively means nothing. Um, it's just delightful and puts things in perspective. So last time I saw you, you were headed off to Hartford Stage for a year, right? Yeah. And then you made the decision to go to an MFA program. Um, why did you decide to, to go to Ohio and why, why an MFA? Great question. Um, and I, it's been, it's been almost two years since I made the decision to go to grad school and I'm still sort of parsing through what all of that meant. Um, I, I have a complicated relationship with the notion of grad school and I forget, mm -hmm. Don, do you have an MFA? Yeah. From yeah. 2001. So <laughs> a long time yeah. ago. I was 13. Um, uh, um, Yes, so I, I have a complicated relationship with the notion of it, and I because I think it's you know, frankly a little absurd that theater people are not only encouraged but low-key required to have mm -hmm. MFAs at this point, um, considering we make no money and the MFAs don't exactly offer us more opportunities to make money. It's just, you know, working on your craft, which of mm -hmm. course is useful, but it doesn't pay the bills. Uh, in any case... Um, so I had, I never wanted to go to grad school, um, but I got my undergraduate degree in directing. And, um, so I, I thought about going for playwriting for some time since that was becoming my focus. And, uh, because I was at Hartford stage, um, I had already uprooted myself from my life. Uh, mm -hmm. I, before that spent 10 years working in Chicago and it felt like, well, I've already done the uprooting. I've already taken myself out of there. Um, maybe now's the time. And I think actually maybe the primary reason I applied for grad school when I did, and this is, this is not the answer that anyone wants to hear, is that uh, at the time I was getting paid $100 a week at Hartford Stage. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which meant that I qualified for application fee waivers almost everywhere. Mm -hmm. And applicate when I was going to undergrad, applications were about sixty dollars, and but now they're like a hundred and ten dollars. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, it's wild. So I I knew that I was that I would never have the money to do that or be willing to spend the money on that. Um, mm -hmm. So it seemed like if I was going to apply for grad school, I was going to have to do it during this time when I wouldn't have to pay to apply for grad school. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it, it came together in sort of a weird way. Uh, it was very much kind of a right place, right time. Let's do it. Uh, and I, I ended up here for a number of reasons that I, you know, I won't go into. I got into several schools and I think, the hardest thing that I ever had to do in my life was to decide where to go mm -hmm. uh, because you don't know, you don't, you don't know what the right program is for you until you get there, until you start. Um, and it's a, it's a really tricky decision to make. Right. Right. Yeah. And now I get asked that a lot from other playwrights who are thinking about mm -hmm. going to grad school. So how did you know, how did you choose, how did you choose a, where to apply to and B where to go? And Fortunately, in my case, it mostly came down to money, um, <laughs> as it probably does for many people. Right, right. But it, it's really, you really just don't know if you're in the right program until you are, you have already started the program. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mine was an easy choice to make because it was the only place I got accepted at. (laughs) (laughs) I applied to five programs. I got rejected everywhere. Um, But one lucky program admitted me. So now they get to reap the benefits of my career. They certainly do. Where was that? That was a, it was the actor studio program at the new school. Um, They were at, they were joined at one point. Now there's two separate programs. There's a new school at Pace University and I believe the actor studio has their own program. Um, But back in the day they were together um, and it was in New York city. Uh, So that was really exciting. And from a person, as a person from the Midwest, um, you know, I had barely spent any time in New York. So it felt like it would be, crazy not to go to New York as a playwright. Of course, I'm still paying off my loans. <laughs> yep, I'm still paying off my undergrad loans. So, yep, yep. Did you feel like, what did you feel like you got out of it when it was all over? Um, I think th- there's a couple of things that I got from grad school. I think one of them, I mean, you don't know what you're getting out of it when you're in there right. um, and what skills you're learning that are going to be you know, important to you later on. I was getting sort of a broad theater education, um, which when I ended up teaching middle school theater was the very, very useful. I mean, those were the skills that I needed as a teacher of theater um, that I didn't realize I was sort of getting. Um, and then the other playwrights that you're with, I think that's really important to, to you know, have a cohort that, that you really identify with. Um, and I think I got better as a writer and I learned, I learned a lot of things about craft when I was there. So I, I totally think it was worth it for me. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's a challenge to, to figure out where you want to go and and if that's the right choice for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you mentioned the cohort and I would definitely say that's, been the most important part of my experience so far. Mm -hmm. I'm a little over a year in and I think, you know, when people ask me, the cohort is mostly what I say. Um, It's having that support system. It's kind of like what we had at Great Plains, but all the time and you can't get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is was mostly nice until you realize that you have no other friends. (laughs) I think especially here because we're in a small town and we're very isolated. you know, we truly have no other friends. So for better or for worse, <laughs> we are stuck with each other. But uh, I've been very lucky with the other people in my program. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what are you working on now? Um, well, uh, a very interesting play that I only got part, part of the way through before grad school took over. So one of the things that I do, in addition to writing like uh, professional adult theaters, I write a lot of theater for young people. Um, And that's uh, sort of where I'm notorious, I guess. (laughs) Um, So I um, I gave Sky or you a um, a play to read for the kind of place that I write for young people, which is sort of um, historical dramas. They're not all historical dramas, but that one was. Um, uh, and, you know, you try and think about the school market, which is large casts, a lot of parts for for girls. Yeah. Um, the exact opposite of things that you do for the professional theater. So instead of a cast of four, you want a cast of 30. Right. Um, so 
Right now, I am doing a ridiculous Star Wars Princess Bride mashup. Because yes. um, they both both movies start with a princess being kidnapped. And I thought, oh, they really sort of mirror each other at the very beginning. And wouldn't it be fun to have them sort of smushed together and to see what uh, uh, what a high school would do with it? So that's that that's, would make millions. That's the silly thing that I am working on at the moment. So I get to write a lot of very silly plays, which which is great. I, I love doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and the play that you're that you sent me is set in is it's during World War Two or is it just right. post? Yeah. Um, so, I'm super excited to continue reading, and I just did a bunch of research related to this for a women's history class last oh, semester. Wow. And I have a bunch of book recommendations for you later if you want them. Ooh, but okay. I would love to hear a little bit more about about where that play came from for you. Okay, so the play's called Badger, and mm -hmm. it's about the Badger Munitions Works in um, Baraboo, Wisconsin, um, which was one of the largest munitions factories during World War II um, and employed, I think, about 60% women um, yeah. in, its, uh, in its workforce. Um, and I've... Uh, I, I like to be on the lookout for sort of undertold stories. So the stories of women ordinance workers, um, you know, people sort of know Rosie the Riveter and they kind of know that story, which was, you know, basically a propaganda story. Yep. Um, and less, less so any other stories related to what women did during World War II. So, um, so I thought it was really neat to uh, to go in and explore that. Now I'm from Wisconsin, um, and I'm from about an hour away from this place. Um, and as a kid, my mom is a hydrogeologist, and she wow. was working on um, doing the groundwater remediation at the at the Badger plant. So I went there sometimes as a kid. Um, traipsing oh. around with my mom to see like the barracks and things like that. So, so that was sort of my personal connection to that story. Um, uh, I do, I, I like to write a lot. If I'm not writing something really ridiculously silly, I often focus on Wisconsin or someplace that I grew up and, and, and try and get into a story that way. Um, and then, you know, researching the story, I just fell in love with with all the different facets of, of what was happening there. Um, and I wanted to tell a story that had uh, a lot of different elements to it so that it's not just one person's story. There's actually five women the play follows. And, yeah. you know, they, they encounter various degrees of sexism and they encounter all kinds of other things. So um, there was a lot about that where, you know, these women were not simply welcomed with open arms when they when they got to the factories there was a lot of shit they had to deal with so um so that's what i was trying to explore in this play in a way that that teenagers can relate to and ultimately yeah. perform yeah that's cool i'm really looking forward to reading the rest of it and i got to read about half of your play <laughs> as your newest yeah. one um, and the and uh Leave the rest for dead. Is that what it's the title is? <laughs> no. no, I've got. Oh, I messed up. It's called bury the rest. Bury the rest. I was. Close. But now I would really like to call it leave, leave the, rest the rest for dead. For dead. <laughs> bury the rest. Um, so why don't you talk about where the idea for this play came from? Um, this play came. It's a well. 
in essence, it is a play about gun control. And so it came from probably the place where all good plays about gun control come from right now. Um, I was sort of in a place where uh, I came up with this very vague scenario of um, a Republican senator whose daughter is killed in a, in a mass high school shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time, from the time I came up with the idea, every time there was a shooting, which unfortunately was a lot, um, I would write a scene. Um, and that was sort of how I would channel my anger, my feelings, my whatever, try to work through it. And eventually I realized there might actually be a real play in there. So I uh, hunkered down on that last year, my first year in grad school as my first year play. Um, and yeah, so it's it's sort of a messy, angry, emotional, <laughs> um, dark but funny, apparently, um, mm-hmm. as I learned, uh, play about grief and gun control and how you reconcile your beliefs within a family. Um, and and I'm excited to keep working on it. It's I've taken some time off from it after we presented it at the end of the year for our Playwrights Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited to get back into it. And I think it will probably keep evolving, sadly, the longer this goes on. Um, right, right. So I, it's, I think all plays are living documents, but I think this one especially will be a living document. As you know, having, having written a play that, that deals with that sort of thing, those sort yeah. of top things. Yeah. I noticed as well that, that you love playing with time. So you had that in Ann Vaster, and in this play too, there's there's sort of a lot of flashbacks and sort of flash sideways. Um, what is it about about messing with time that really excites you as a playwright? I think uh, because it allows me much more uh, leeway with structure. Um, mm-hmm. I have a tendency to rebel against uh, the typical structure, which is very vexing, I think, to my program which focuses primarily on structure. Um, And I think it's sort of my way of getting around that, of of finding a way to tell a story that doesn't feel like I'm checking off boxes. Um, Because sometimes when I'm working in a traditional structure like that, I feel like I'm just checking off boxes as I go and and it increasingly becomes less interesting to me. Right. So in playing with time, I can, you know, for lack of a better phrase, fuck around a little bit more. And I think for me, or at least in in the case of Barry the Rest, tell a more truthful story that way, which is always what I'm trying to do. And I think what a lot of us are trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just more fun. It's more exciting. You know, right. when you're working on a rewrite, it's more exciting to just be kind of fucking around with shit. Um <laughs> Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. I get bored easily. <laughs> well, it's also, I guess, how we experience life, too. You know, we don't always stay in the present in, in our consciousness. We're always yeah. drifting in and out of things that we remember or, you know, going back and having thinking about these times that might not necessarily connect, you know, logically in your own mind. So I think that that's that I think that's a totally valid way to 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 delve into somebody's consciousness. Yeah, and it's messy, and I like mess. I think theater mm. is interesting when it's messy. So, 
yeah. there's a <laughs> there's such a messy relationship in the new play with the um, so the senator is married to uh, a stepmother, I guess, a woman, and yes. then his ex-wife is like hanging out all the time <laughs> with them, and it seems yes. it's it's such a, um, a a grand specific mess in in that relationship, and I thought that was that was really interesting to see how the three of them were in this sort of relationship with each other. Yeah, and let me just tell you, it only gets worse, Don. Uh, <laughs> it only gets messier and more absurd. Um, yeah, I love that phrase now. It's such a grand, specific mess. <laughs> and I'm obsessed. Um, yeah, I think um, as, a, as a writer, what I mostly do is, is delve into relationships and different types of relationships. Um, and in, and in Envastor, I'm dealing with a 15 year marriage and just, I mean, there's not a whole lot of plot in my place. It's mostly just characters and relationships mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to make them all work. Um, which I think is a lot of what we were trying to do as human beings. Um, but, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, as a writer, that's, that's typically my focus unconventional marriages and relationships and. I don't know, the ways in which they help us get by. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you typically, as you say, are writing for young adults. How do you sort of balance writing your more full-length work um, with, uh, with writing for young adults? Do you have a schedule that you follow, time that is set aside for one versus the other? I kind of just follow wherever the inspiration takes me. Um, so it's a challenge because uh, when I write for young people, I can go from writing the play to getting a play in production, to having it performed, to having it published within six months. Yeah, it's wild. It's, it's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> right? yes, and, the process for the professional theater is so long and it takes so it takes so much time <laughs> to get a play out there into the world, to get the readings, to get the development, to get a world premiere. Um, and, you know, in each of these steps, even if it's going your way, can take a year or 18 months between every single one of them. Um, so, you know, it's it. So there is an immediacy to writing for young people that's really addictive and enticing. You know, when you can write a play and be like, wow, there's going to be people rehearsing this like next month. It's it's yeah. really hard to say, you know, I'm going to write a play for adults that I might see in three or four years. Um, so I tend to try to write like one big professional adult play per year. Um, and then I write a lot of plays for young people. Um, I probably write five or six per year, um, for, for the kids, um, which is, and, and I'm writing novels these days too. So, yes, um, <laughs> so I'm very busy, um, yeah. but I kind of feel like if I'm not writing something, then I'm just an unemployed dude sitting in Starbucks. So <laughs> I better be working, you know, I'm working for myself, so I better be yeah. working. Yeah. And you found a way to, I think, you know, my sense is that you found a way to, you know, make a living 
off writing, yeah. which is still really hard for a lot of us. Well, for just about everybody, it's really, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, and I never, like, it was totally out of the blue, honestly. Um, like I said, I got a job teaching middle school theater at a public school in Texas. Um, and I ended up starting to write plays for my students because I hated all of the plays aimed at middle school kids. And then sort of weirdly, they became very, very popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I started making money from them and I started eventually making enough money to support myself. Um, and that's one of the things that that I love to tell other writers is like, look for sort of unconventional income streams that you might not really realize exist. Yeah. You know, there's not one of the reasons, one of the ways I became really like successful in this is there weren't a lot of other, um, you know, uh, I would say there weren't another, a lot of playwrights in that field. It was a pretty small field. So it was yeah. you cornered the market. Yes, I was able to, like, through the sheer force of writing a crap ton of plays, um, to corner the market. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you, if you have an idea for 25 people, you know, <laughs> write it so it can be done in a high school and, you know, uh, and people will do it. Oh, I can't imagine it. I admire it so much. My brain just shuts down when it goes anywhere over seven. Mm -hmm. Oof. Well, you can do things. I've done a lot with like adapting Shakespeare plays. Um, I wrote a play called Game of Tiaras, um, which is basically Game of Thrones, but with Disney princesses as the leaders of the houses. Um, and it follows the plot of King Lear. So, you know, King Lear has 25 characters in it, plus armies. Um, yeah. And, you know, and kids love that show. That show gets done all over the place because... You know, who doesn't want to dress up like a Disney princess, take a sword and run through another Disney princess with a sword? I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my finding brain. that in is really helpful. Yeah. A million dollar idea. But in theater. <laughs> huh. Interesting. So what are you working on now? Like, what is what is the work right now? Oh, um, I am I'm working on a play about the Hollywood blacklist. Mm. Yes. And I use the word working loosely um, because it is not coming very easily. But I do have a workshop of it here at school in two weeks. So I had better get on that. <laughs> um, I have a whole 40 pages. <laughs> What's the, like, the focus of the story? Uh, it's, or is that the problem, right? <laughs> well, it's a little problem, um, but there is sort of a, a group of friends, and they, you know, I'm trying to hone in on this time in our history where everyone was terrified at all times that they were going to be named, that they were going to lose their jobs, never be able to work again in this field that they worked so hard to get started in, you know, in the film industry. Um, and and the decisions that, that they had to make of to, to kind of save themselves and name other people, uh, to name themselves, mm -hmm. to leave the country. Um, and it was, you know, it was a stressful time in our history. And just like we are in a stressful time in our present, um, 
and I and I'm trying to sort of hone in on what the central conflict is uh, because it's so vast. I mean, the, mm. there are so many things that I could that I could focus on, and I just can't seem to bring myself to decide, which is not an unusual problem for me. <laughs> so <laughs> that is what I am attempting to work on. What's next for you? I don't know. <laughs> um, I might be working on a children's book um, about Emily Bronte, maybe. Oh, wow. Love uh, it. Perhaps uh, if someone buys that, we'll see. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, and then I need to come up with another idea after this, um, after this Princess Bride thing comes in. <laughs> Um, you know, what I wanted to ask you about, and it's interestingly, and this is, I think, a problem that a lot of us artists have now, is like, how do we deal with the world right now since it's so insane? Like, yeah. how do we deal? How do you deal? I know, and I know a lot of playwrights, like, they'll, they'll write Trump into a play, and it seems like you almost can't because he's so ridiculous. Yeah. You know? No, it, it's an instant farce when you write him. Yeah. Like and whatever you put in there, he's going to be more ridiculous next week than your play anyway. Right. Right. I, I, I tend to have a hard time writing topical plays, actually, just mm -hmm. because of, you know, by nature, it's so transient and it's different, you know, day by day. And that is frustrating. <laughs> um, I think Bury the Rest is the first play that I've written that really does deal with um, very present topical issues. Um, but I do tend to try to stay away from that. Um, because it's, it's too much for me. It's too overwhelming for me. Um, it can be useful in trying to process things and process the world around me, which is why I think a lot of writers do do that. Um, but I get overwhelmed and mm -hmm. I, I write to get out of this world a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a writer who likes to write what she knows. I like to write situations that I've never been in because that's far more interesting to me than rehashing things that I've already done or already lived. Hmm. Um, so, so I have a tendency to stay away from it, but it gets harder and harder <laughs> every day. Um, in, as you say, in this climate. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason I, that came up with me is that I also wrote a play sort of set in the McCarthy era, and yeah. it was kind of a way to talk about Trump, honestly. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I think about, like, The Crucible, which is Arthur Miller talking about yeah. McCarthyism, but setting it back in the Salem Witch Trials, and now I'm setting things in the <laughs> McCarthy era to talk about the current situation. Um, it's so weirdly Yeah, you know, I weirdly, like... And I will try and do political things in my plays for young people too, which yeah. is, it, it's it's a whole interesting ball game because they're, you know, I have shows being produced in rural Alabama, you know, so not exactly places that are friendly to my perspective. Yeah. Um, but I try, you know, I'm, you know, teenagers, they understand politics. They're a part of the world. You know, they they know what's going on in many ways. Um, so it feels false to me to not have that stuff in the work. So, but it is it, it's a constant challenge to 
try and figure out the right way to deal with it in a way that's we're all we're so polarized right so you've got people in the audience if there are any conservative people in the audience you know they they might immediately shut down and become angry if if it's if you're too much propagandizing for one side you know yeah. so it's it's tricky <laughs> yeah I, I, that's probably why i'm terrified of it <laughs> yeah yeah i I mean, it's just, it's a central thing for artists today, I think, to, to even to even address this and contemplate it. You know, and if it's the professional theater, hell, your show's not going to be going up until 2021 anyway. Well, so, exactly. <laughs> or later. So yeah. it might be, you know. Irrelevant by then. Well, hopefully. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, I wrote a play, um, I wrote a play in 2012 called The Election. Mm -hmm. um, which is this election for student body president between a boy and a girl. Um, and it's a satire and the girl ends up getting a super PAC with millions of dollars behind her high school campaign <laughs> and starts running misleading television ads against her opponent. And then he gets his own super PAC with millions of dollars behind him and starts running misleading television ads against her. Um, and I loved it as sort of a way that you know, uh, to try and deal with political stuff without seeming like I was endorsing one side or another side. Right. Um, and uh, I got to see that play a lot in 2016. <laughs> a lot of schools. I'm sure. <laughs> and I saw it in Seattle the Friday after the election. Ooh. And there's a line in the play called where the, the boy says, how can you get elected president if you're a lying, cheating jerk? And <laughs> The whole show stopped like that, like this. Is, I, it was a Catholic girls school in Seattle. So who knows who knows what the politics of the people in the audience were. But, yeah. But uh, the whole play just that everything just came to a crashing stop for like a minute before they could keep going with the show. Uh. Uh, and I kind of loved that it was it was dealing with it, but it wasn't dealing with it in a way that was going to make some people feel like they were that they should just be outraged and leave, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> I, I didn't like, mean to get us on politics, I'm sorry. Yeah, where do we <laughs> go from there, Don? I feel like it's a sign. I feel like, I feel like we've drawn ourselves to a close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> we can't recover from politics. Uh, well, it has been delightful talking to you. Yeah, this has been really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to Play for Keeps for having us. Yes, I hope this was fun for everybody listening out there. Sky and I are just going to get together later and just have more drinks. And, yeah, and we're just going to keep drinking and drinking. We'll do another <laughs> one of these drunk at some point and see how that goes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, idea for the producers. I yep. think we have it now. <laughs> yep. There's too much shit talking, though. I mean, it's... Yeah, we can't bad. talk... <laughs> <laughs> all right on that note thank you very much sir thank you very much sayonara bye thanks for listening to our conversation between Don Zolaitis and Sky Robinson Hillis for more great conversations between creatives actors and playwrights make sure you subscribe to the Play for Keeps podcast on Spotify Stitcher Radio Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and don't forget to join us next week for the Fall Festival here in Ashland, Oregon, October 16th through the 20th. Go to ashlandnewplays.org for more information. 
The Play for Keeps podcast is a production of the Ashland New Place Festival. It is directed by James Pagliasotti. This episode was produced by me, Andy Herndon, with art direction by Cara Quinn Lewis and written content edited by Carol Florian. Special thanks to Ashland New Place Festival Artistic Director Kyle Hayden, Associate Artistic Director Jackie Abadaka, and Fall Festival host playwright Beth Kander. Visit us online at playforkeeps.org or ashlandnewplace.org. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Help us spread the word about this podcast by liking, following, sharing, subscribing, retweeting. You know what to do. And I'm your host, Andy Herndon. Until next time, remember, want to play? Play for keeps. Play for keeps.